Uh, but the idea is to be able to, as you're reading through a verse, there will be hyperlink text there that will allow you to click on words and phrases and things like that and see what has been said about this. So if you're reading, let's just take, for example, 1 Nephi 1-2, which is the second verse in, in the whole Book of Mormon, but is probably one of the most confusing and enigmatic texts there is. What the heck does Nephi mean when he says that he's writing in the learning of the Jew, uh, the, yeah, the language of the Egyptians and the learning of the Jews? Mm-hmm. What does that even mean? Welcome to LDS Perspectives Podcast, where we explore aspects of LDS doctrine, history, and culture digging deeper, and having a whole lot of fun, learning about things that affect our lives and our faith. We are everyday Mormons sharing extraordinary conversations. Today we are with Neil Rapley, who is the operations manager at bookofmormoncentral.org. Neil, tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you get involved with bookofmormoncentral.org? Thank you, first of all, for having me on. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah. I got involved actually about a year ago. Well, I guess it backs up a little bit further than that. One answer to the question, how did I get involved in this, is is really I started a blog. I thought I had something worthwhile to contribute. I know that's a little pretentious to think, oh, I, I've got so many ideas, mm-hmm. people should read them, Yeah. right? But that's what happens. And, and so I started a blog because I, I thought I was pretty big britches or something. <laughs> Everything really kind of snowballed from there. And then that kind of led to opportunities that... Uh, like Book of Mormon Central opening up. And Book of Mormon Central is a really great resource, and that's kind of one of the things I want to talk about. Give me a brief explanation about what the point of Book of Mormon Central. Uh, well, this is that moment where you wish you'd memorized the mission statement, yeah. right? Yeah. The main objective for Book of Mormon Central is to get people to engage with the Book of Mormon yeah. on more than just a superficial level. And, you know, we hope to attract anybody and everybody, whether they're members of the church or not, and to get them to look at the Book of Mormon and read it and read it more seriously and to understand and see some of the amazing treasures that it holds, many of the ways it can benefit their lives and bring them closer to Christ, and just the, the, the ways it can stimulate you spiritually, intellectually, and the ways it can shape and change the direction of your life, those kind of things. We really just want to get people diving into the Book of Mormon and engaging with the Book of Mormon and the things it says and, and even wrestling with the Book of Mormon, uh, the better. That's, yeah. a, that's a good thing for everyone. Okay, yeah. And how long has this site been up? Uh, we launched January 1st of this year. So, yeah. What, what's the reception or any feedback that you've received from, from how it's gone so far? We get positive feedback and comments every day. Uh, not too long ago, I got an email from a BYU professor who uh, teaches religion at BYU, and he was just thrilled with uh, with what we're doing with the no wise, which I'm mm-hmm. sure we'll we'll get around to explaining. Yeah, in a we'll talk about those. Um, but uh, he was he was um, he was talking about how he has assigned them to students, oh, and wow. uh, and he had just gathered feedback from students about them, huh. and uh, he was telling me that he got an overwhelmingly positive reception yeah. from the students on the no wise and how much they appreciated them. And things like that. And so we've we've heard things like that uh, coming from various places, BYU professors, uh, institute teachers, mm-hmm. and, and things like that. Gospel doctrine teachers have, have been greatly appreciative. And, and just regular everyday members who are trying to use it for their daily study or things like that. Uh, the reception's been good. And, you know, a few, a few indicators for me are like our Facebook page is doing really well. Uh, we're, we're, we've got a little over 18,000 
followers awesome. on Facebook right now. And depending on who you compare that to, that's pretty small. But I think in the world of Book of Mormon studies, that's actually a pretty big following. And and uh, we, we take that as a good indicator that uh, we're reaching an audience and we're filling a need for a lot yeah. of people. So Yeah, absolutely. So what would you say is your target audience when you guys, when everybody sits down and they're like, okay, we're getting everything going, ready, set. Who are you writing those articles? Who are, who, what's the focus or who's the focus? On some level, the target audience is everybody. Sure. We want everyone sure. to be able to read these and to get something out of it. Uh, but when it really comes down to it, uh, the, the, the audience we're most concerned about, the, the audience we're most trying to reach is uh, the millennials, mm-hmm. uh, the 18 to 30-year-old, uh, or, or some people bracket it up to 35. I don't, I don't know. Kind of the younger, uh, younger audience, younger generation. A big part of our mission is to get them engaging with the Book of Mormon and engaging with a lot of the scholarship that's been done that they probably don't know about because it was done 20, 30, 40 50, sometimes a long yeah. time ago. It's buried in books and libraries, which we know, you know, millennials yeah. don't really go to libraries. Yeah. We want to democratize all of this information and, and get it out there to the people, to everybody, and especially to millennials, though. We want to, we're working to try and come up with creative ways to engage them, but yet provide solid, reliable information mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, and you can tell that if um, those who are listening, if they haven't taking a look at the website, it's it's beautifully done in the pictures and you can tell with there's been a lot of effort put into that to make it visually, you know, inviting mm-hmm. and those kinds of things. So do you kind of feel like the uh, millennials are not in, you said earlier, mm-hmm. that to help the millennials get into the scriptures, look at the Book of Mormon and engage in it. Do you feel like the older generation did that more than millennials today? Like what do you what do you think? Well, I I don't know if there's any data to prove yeah. that this generation yeah. reads the scriptures less than another generation. Sure. But what we know is um, one of our one of our benefactors, donors who who has provided a lot of uh, funding for us, is an institute teacher, mm-hmm. and she, she felt like this was important because she was seeing a lot of her students. Yeah, weren't engaging mm-hmm. with the Book of Mormon mm-hmm. and weren't wrestling with the Book of Mormon and weren't discovering the wonders and the treasures that it holds. And so that was part of her motivation in, in funding us. You know, like I said, we don't have the data to compare specifically Mormons reading their scriptures kind of thing, but, Absolutely. but there's pl- been plenty of studies that uh, suggest that uh, reading is just not a thing millennials do mm-hmm. very much. And mm-hmm. most of the reading they do will be either be on their, their phone yeah. or maybe online on a laptop or something like that. And it's really pretty quick. You know, if you don't get, grab their attention right at the beginning, they're not going to read all the way through. And if you grab their attention, but then you drone on really, mm-hmm. really long with mm-hmm. with a lot of stuff, they're not going to read all the way through. Tailoring things to their needs and their interests and what they're looking for, um, I think is really important when it comes to trying to engage an audience, obviously. Yeah. And that's probably true with most anything. So let's talk about kind of the bread and butter of what you um, have on your website, and that's the Know Why articles. Uh-huh. Tell us about what the purpose of those are. Okay, uh, so they're called Know Whys, and that's all one word, K-N-O, capital W-H-Y, right? The The point of those, though, is to, we want you to, to know something mm-hmm. about the Book of Mormon, gain some kind of insight, but we don't want you to just know it. We want you to know why it's important, why it's relevant, why... It's interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, they're, they're all just short essays. We try to keep them down to a page, maybe two. Sometimes I think they creep up into about three pages. 
Um, we, we try to keep them relatively short and relatively brief, and they usually are summarizing a key point or insight that's been made by someone else before us. That's oh, okay. in, uh, you know, because like I said, there's a lot of scholarship that's been done on the Book of Mormon that people just don't know about. And so rather than reinvent the wheel and come up with completely new ideas all the time, and every now and then we do have something relatively new to contribute with these no eyes. But mm-hmm. the main idea is to take these things that have been published and vetted and peer-reviewed already and to provide it a good summary of it in, in a very brief amount of time and then provide some kind of meaningful application to, to help you see how knowing that now makes enhances your understanding of the Book of Mormon and of the gospel and things like that. And so to do that, we usually divide them into two, well, we always divide them into two sections. There's what we call the know, and that's more the information, the data, um, that'll give you, that, that'll tell you where we're at in the Book of Mormon that we're talking about. And then it'll start to give you the, the information and the data that we think is relevant that helps you understand something there. And then we've got the why. And the why is where we will start to try and explain why this helps you better understand the Book of Mormon why this helps you better understand the gospel, how you can apply it to yourself and to your life or to the modern day or our present circumstances and things like that. So yeah, that's that's basically the, the gist of it. And then there's always a further reading section where we tell you, okay, these are kind of the, the places you can go to learn more about some of these ideas. And then there's also footnotes. If you really want to learn more, you can dive into those. Yeah. So when, when you're writing these, uh, tell us about the people who are writing them, the people on your staff. The people on our staff, uh, specifically the ones who, who write Nowise, uh, there's me, and I will usually oversee the process of dividing up who's going to write what and who's going to do which Nowise and things like that. And then uh, I'll tell you about Stephen Smoot, even though he's actually, today was his last day. So, But he uh, he's a recent BYU graduate in Ancient Near Eastern Studies, um, and the reason he's leaving is because he is going to do graduate school in Egyptology at uh, the University of Toronto. To replace Stephen, we just hired a young man named Jonathan Riley. Jonathan uh, just finished his master's degree in uh, up at Trinity Western, and he was studying, oh, let's see, I think intertextuality between, I might get it wrong, but it was, a, it was in the biblical studies field. I think it involved the Dead Sea Scrolls and intertextuality with, with some different biblical texts and so things like that. Pretty smart people. Oh, yeah, very smart they people. stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the other hand, we have another, uh, another person, um, Ryan Daly, who uh, actually works remotely from uh, Salmon, Idaho, and he writes No Wise as well. And his background, actually, he just has a degree in English. Um, with a minor in history. yeah. Um, he's well-read, though, on the Book of Mormon scholarship and things like that. His main strength for us, the reason we brought him on, is because he writes well, and he, yeah. he writes well for a popular audience with, his, with, a, with a background in English and everything. And it sounds like most of your staff is fairly young or would fit in yeah. the millennial yeah. demographic. In, in fact, as far as the people on staff go, we have... We have three people who are like our executive board who kind of lead and guide the whole effort, and that's uh, John W. Welch, a scholar from BYU, probably the, the top scholar on the Book of Mormon living today. Very bright, appreciate all the feedback and the guidance and the, the corrective hand that, that he, he has there for, for us all the time. Uh, and then Kirk Magleby is our business manager, and then Taylor Halverson, also at BYU at the Teaching and Learning Center, is also involved. 
Other than those three, though, the people who are actually on staff who are working full-time there, there's only David Larson, who uh, he's a research fellow for us. He's working on some intertextuality on the Psalms and the Book of Mormon. He did a he has a PhD in biblical studies. He's the only one that wouldn't fall under the millennial demographic. Yeah. Uh, everybody else on our staff, everyone else who works in the production of No Wise and uh, and things like that, we're all we're all in the eighteen to thirty five age bracket. We may not be hip all the time, but we're young. <laughs> yeah. So, but it sounds like you know you're writing from experience and and thinking of things that are interesting for you for your age group. Right. And absolutely. People you know, and and you know, not all of us, but most of us are single too. So we're walking yeah. into singles wards every yeah, Sunday. Exactly. And we're we're having experience and interaction with with the the audience we're looking for, and, and we're getting feedback. Uh, I mean, it's it's not uh, rigorous survey data that we're collecting, but we're getting feedback from, from our friends and from people we know who, who fit our target demographic all the time. And is that kind of your focus when you're trying to come up with articles are you, and topics? Are you looking for topics that relate to that age group or things that seem pretty interesting and you want to put it out? A little bit of both. Probably more often it's things that seem interesting, and, and rather than tailor the exact topic to what we think they'll be interested in, mm-hmm. we're trying to think of ways we can present interesting topics that they maybe normally wouldn't be interested in. We want, you know, because that's part of the issue. The scriptures for a lot of people aren't something they'd normally be interested in. Yeah. Right. So lots of times it's, it's less about coming up with an, a topic though. We we certainly, we want topics that they're interested in and we want feedback. And I would hope that anyone out there, whether they're a millennial or not, who's interested in seeing us tackle a topic, use the contact form on our website to write in and say, Hey, when you get time, could you explore this? Yeah. You know, know why or something like that. So we certainly want that kind of feedback. But more often than not, we're taking stuff that uh, is already there. Like I said, the scholarship that's already there mm-hmm. and saying, how can we make this interesting? How can yeah. we present this in a way that will make it interesting, relevant and appealing to our audience today? With those articles, what kind of sources are you using? You talked about the research and things that people are using, they're kind of hidden away in old books. Mm-hmm. Um, are there sources that you're encouraging the writers to use? And are there sources that you're saying, let's not go to those, or is everything kind of open? Well, I I would say, I mean, yeah, we're, we're definitely trying to guide them towards specific sources. We've never put up a red flag and said, hey, don't go to these sources. Mm-hmm. That's not the kind of thing we're going to do. But we do hope that people begin to notice what sources we tend to use more and realize and, and recognize those as really good resources to turn to. Um, you know, there are certain there are certain scholars and there are certain w- books that we tend to draw on for ideas and uh, and information much more frequently. And mm-hmm. you know, there is a reason for that because they are they're time proven, they're more reliable, and we believe they give valuable insight into the Book of Mormon. They've done the research. And absolutely, they know their their stuff yeah. and they're heavily documented as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so so when you are thinking of these articles um, and these, uh, you know, the people are reading them and they're going through them, how do you hope they're used? What do you hope they do with these articles? One thing is I, I hope they don't just read it and go, huh, that's nice, and then move on. And I hope they don't just read as we cite scripture and things like that and go, huh, whatever, and, and move on, right? I hope... Uh, they're taking the time to look up the story in the Book of Mormon that we're talking about, read it for themselves, and think about what they just learned, and think about, you know, I, I, I'm hoping that they're, they're, that it's changing the way they're reading the Book of Mormon. 
So as they take the articles and they're reading them and they're getting more into the scriptures and things like that, and then we look at it as a, we take the setting to like a gospel doctrine class or um, a Sunday school class or something like that. Often, you know, the brethren say things like be careful of outside sources and stay true to the manual and those kinds of things. What do you hope happens with, with the articles as far as that regard is? Well, we, we certainly hope that that people find it useful and and that they don't feel like it's a source they can not rely on or turn to, say, in a gospel doctrine setting. In fact, we have uh, we have gospel doctrine resources. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a page on our website uh, that that follows the lesson manual, and it it doesn't just have our no wise on there. Like, hey, look, here's the no wise we did that are relevant, but it has those on there. You know, the, the Gospel Doctrine Resources page has our no-wise on it. It has resources from BYU Studies and the Maxwell Institute and Interpreter and several different places, bringing a lot of resources and scholarship into one place. And we hope that that's useful for people. Okay, so as you are talking about with how you're trying to allow the no-wise to be kind of supplemental and helpful mm-hmm. in the... Uh, teaching of like gospel doctrine and Sunday school and things like that. There's so many different opinions on a certain topic. Say, you know, a certain example that goes into the scriptures. One one um, scholar may think something different than another scholar that you've quoted. So sometimes there can be more than one opinion on a certain topic. How do you feel about like the topics that you are taking? It's not the official only way to look at a certain story. Right. No, that's, that's definitely true. And, um, in some ways, that goes back to what we are really trying to accomplish with the no-wise and what we want people to do. Because like I said, I, we really would like to see people uh, start thinking about the scriptures differently as a result of reading the no-wise. And that doesn't always mean agreeing with what's said in the no-why. If someone reads a no-why and then goes back to the story and reads it, and they're, now they're thinking about what that no-why said, and they're thinking, do, is, is that really true? What does this say here? And they come away saying, you know, I don't know. I don't know if I'm convinced by that, or I think there's a, a different point of view. And lots of times in the footnotes or in the further reading, we'll put in a few sources that are going to give you a different point of view than what we actually presented. And sometimes even a no why itself, there's been some no whys that have been like, hey, there's three different ways to approach this. One, two, three, you know, take your pick, whichever one you think is best. And, and the nice thing about that is lots of times, depending on which approach you take, when we get down to the why, there's a different application for each one. So we can be like, hey, here's three different ways to approach it, one, two, three, and then here's three different things we learn depending on how which approach we choose to take. And so, you know, there are some no-whys that, that represent that breadth of opinion. Others do kind of represent a single point of view. But we really hope that uh, even by, by having something that you might ultimately disagree with presented, it helps you think harder about the scriptures and helps you see them in a new light, in a different light, and maybe see things you didn't see before. And, and even if those things that you see now, you're like, oh, I didn't notice this before, but I feel like this this contradicts what they're saying here. That's a good thing. Anything we can do that's getting people to read the scriptures more carefully, think about them harder, learn a little more from them, whether they come away agreeing with what we said in a no why or not, is, is a good thing. And I think there may be a little bit of a need to shift our mindset and our culture as far as Sunday school goes. Because let's let's be honest, we have all our Sunday school teachers in the whole church, they're all volunteers. Mm-hmm. And even if they're trying to stick to the manual, in the end, they're saying things that are what they think rather than what's the official teaching, right? Yeah. And so I think it's good to interject and infuse our gospel doctrine classes and our church 
with new ideas and new opinions, create a, a setting and a forum, a place where people can openly discuss what they think about the scriptures rather than feel like they have to kind of stick to a program and, uh, and have to present some kind of party line or official view. Open discussion is what's going to foster a greater, clearer thinking and, and more in-depth connections to the scriptures. And hopefully, like I said, just get people thinking harder about the scriptures, thinking more about the scriptures. I consider that a win, whether they come away agreeing with us or not. Yeah, just as long as you're adding more information into right. the background of what right. we're Right, and, and, and creating, I think, sometimes a more informed conversation. We form opinions about the scriptures sometimes without having any clue what we're talking about, right? Yeah. And, and so, you know, at the very least, we've given you some information, and you may come away disagreeing, but you have a slightly more informed opinion about it now. So all, all of those are, are good things, in my opinion. Yeah. So it's not an effort to be definitive, but to right. ask for and invite more scholarship and understanding of what's right. going on. Right. right, absolutely. And we may very well, there's a good chance that later we're going to come back to these same topics and we're going to say, we approached King Benjamin this way last mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. Now let's try approaching him this way. And it may be a completely different approach, a completely mm-hmm. contradictory approach, but it's it's let's see what insights we can learn now with this approach rather than that approach. Yeah, yeah. So because there's lots of different ways to apply certain stories. And absolutely, things. absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Well, I want to kind of finish up talking about one of the programs or one of the features that are on the website that's under development. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the interactive text. Okay. Yeah. Um, just looking over that, and it's kind of in a beta form there, but. Um, just, I mean, not what's on there, but it seems like you're just trying to figure some of the things out. What is the interactive text? It looks like a powerful tool. The idea behind the interactive text is, because one thing we realize is while we can, we can produce an OYS and we can create an archive that's going to have tons and tons of the scholarship all in one place, um, and we can create uh, the notes section that's going to be kind of an encyclopedia-like reference and going to have all these encyclopedia articles on so many things, every term and reference and all these things in the Book of Mormon. We realize we can put all of that together, but it's only useful to a limited amount of people when it's in that kind of format. The main time you want to use this is while you're actually studying the scriptures, yeah, right? Yeah. And there's, there's a certain need to have it accessible and easy to use as you're studying the Book of Mormon, right? We don't the, the idea being we don't necessarily want you to be like, okay, I'm going to read my Book of Mormon and I'm going to read my Book of Mormon Central mm-hmm. kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like we don't want that to be two different activities. We mm-hmm. want it to be one. We want people to be able to engage the, the text in, in interesting and uh, mind-expanding ways, mm-hmm. uh, but we don't want them to have to pull away from the text all the time to do it. Uh, but the idea is to be able to, as you're reading through a verse, there will be hyperlink text there that will allow you to click on words and phrases and things like that and see what has been said about this. So if you're reading, let's just take, for example, 1 Nephi 1-2, which is the second verse in, in the whole Book of Mormon, but is probably one of the most confusing and enigmatic texts there is. What the heck does Nephi mean when he says that he's writing in the learning of the Jew, uh, the yeah, the language of the Egyptians and the learning of the Jews? Mm-hmm. What does mm-hmm. that even mean, yeah. right? Like. Yeah. And, and scholars have debated it, and, and there's all kinds of different opinions about it. There's actually as many as five different interpretations of that. Hmm. So let's just say you're reading in there, and you're like, oh, what does that mean? And you can click on it, and you will, you will get a short summary of uh, you know, the fact that there's been Egyptian heretic writing has been found in Israel that dates right down to Lehi and Nephi's time. You'll get some sort of little 
short summary blurb of, of what the scholarship is there. And then it will be an opportunity to click and learn more if you want to. Hmm. And that'll take you to different places on the website. It'll take you probably to the encyclopedia, which will then have further reading or, or it'll maybe it'll have links to know wise, mm-hmm. um, things like that. If there's a, you know, Royal Skousen who has done, uh, who has spent my entire lifetime and, and then some pretty much. Well, I think uh, 1988 is when he started. So yeah, my, my entire <laughs> lifetime, yeah. since I was, since I was a baby, Royal Skousen has been doing the critical text project of the Book of Mormon, and he's been documenting every variant and change that's been made in it, mm-hmm. right? And so you can be reading along, and there will be a hyperlink there, and you can click on it, and it will show you, here's the different variants of this verse that, that have shown up in the printer's manuscript or the original manuscript or the, the different editions of the Book of Mormon. And so you can study that out yourself right there as you're doing your scripture study, right? And the information won't just kind of come separately as a separate thing you do. You read about the information, then you go read the scriptures. But as you're reading the scriptures, you can get the information to help you contextualize it and think about it and and see as you're reading the story of Abinadi, for instance, and and you read a, you read that he was scourged with faggots. And we have a no-eye on this about how in ancient Mesoamerica, and this was also a practice in other parts of the Americas as well. We've got We've got information from North America and other places. But throughout the ancient Americas, you have a practice of taking bundles of sticks, lighting them on fire, and then beating people mm. with them as a, as a method of torment. And to me, that's, when it says scourged with faggots, that sounds like the kind of practice that's going on. And, mm-hmm. and so you can be reading a line, and you're like, oh, what does that mean? And you're going to click, and then right there, it's going to start changing the way you're reading the story of Abinadi because you're getting the information as you're reading it. You're getting clarification as to yeah. what what this phrase in the scriptures could mean and and what Abinadi likely endured as a torment um, as, as he went through that. And, you know, to me, that changes how I how I read the story of Abinadi. And and to, to have the power right there in an interactive text to change it as they're reading it, to, to give them insight and context and understanding right there as they're reading the text, that's that's going to be the power of the interactive text. And that's going to be, that's that's how it's, that's that's the vision for it, yeah. right? It's under development, so... What's gonna What's gonna ultimately come out? How it's out ultimately gonna look? I don't know. That and nobody knows at this point. Yeah. It's 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 still being discussed and and uh, they're they're trying different things as they as they try to develop it and and the functionality and stuff will will have to we'll, we'll we'll see how that turns out. But that's kind of the vision is to to put this scholarship right at your fingertips as you're reading the text, as you're studying the Book of Mormon, as you're doing your scripture study. Yeah, that's a pretty. Uh... Pretty awe-inspiring idea. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, I, I thought it was pretty powerful in just looking through some of the things, just the short amount of text that you have already. Right. Uh, but it's uh, really cool. So my last question for you is, if you could meet anyone in the scriptures other than the Savior and Joseph Smith, so we'll say church history as well, mm-hmm. okay? okay? Who would you want to meet and why? Oh, there's so many. It's, it's So a, many in your top five. It's, it's a <laughs> tough choice, but I think... I think for right now, at least, I, I think I'm going to say Nephi, the first Nephi. Just imagining what he went through, uh, and really his whole family, what they went through. But, but you know, Nephi is the one who, who gave, a, gave it to us, right? Who, who told us the story. What, you know, being able to talk to him and, and learn, okay, what was it like when your dad said, okay, guys, we're going to go to the desert now. We're going to get out of here. And I don't know, you know, we, we tend not to think about the fact that Jerusalem was kind of in hot water with Babylon at the time. So maybe they were like, oh, good idea, Dad, let's go. <laughs> you know, learning what was it like? And then what was it like going through the desert for eight years? And what, you know, we've we've mapped the route. We've got it down pretty good. And uh, 
it should only take about four months. And so it's like, Nephi, what were you guys doing for eight years? Like, tell me about this, right? Yeah. And then having to learn how to build a ship, we don't we don't think about this all the time. But uh, you know, ocean going vessels were uh, high tech for that day, and and some will even argue they were impossible for that day. And, you know, we're told he had to learn how to build it after the manner of the Lord rather than the manner of the men. But and so that's a lot to learn and take in, and just the experience he had uh, going through the desert, building a ship, and then sailing across tens of thousands of miles of ocean. No matter which way you want to have them sail, there's different. Uh, there's debate as to whether they came across on the Pacific side or the Atlantic side. Mm-hmm. But no matter which way you have to sail, that's a lot of sailing for someone who'd never even sailed before, yeah. who just barely built a boat. I would love to to talk to Nephi and learn a little bit about his experience. And you got to think about it as you're reading his book, what it, what he gave us here. But just how much the Lord helped him, how much he had to rely on the Lord, what it was like to be in that position. And uh, just how much he learned and, and how much he grew in, in that, you know, we tend not to think about it, but but the Nephi of 1 Nephi 1 versus the Nephi of 2 Nephi 33, they're not the same people anymore. To talk to him and better understand that growth and development that he experienced, I think would be a, a really neat, neat opportunity. Yeah, he's a good one. He would be tremendous to sit down and just ask, just to ask a few questions about diligence and about Absolutely. obedience. Well, I appreciate you being here. Uh, It's been a pleasure to talk to you. I um, am excited to see how Book of Mormon Central continues to grow. So, Neil, I appreciate you being here. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Here's what's coming up on the next episode of the LDS Perspectives podcast. It is simple what science says. There were a lot of people here, and as more family came in, and you ask any scientist that deal with population genetics, can I find the DNA of this family? 2,600 years ago, they came here, and they will tell you, how are you going to do that? Good luck. You know, good luck. And I have approached this question because I wanted to make sure in my bias as a Latter-day Saint scientist, and my bias and my not since the, the obvious, you know, and so I talked to some of my colleagues that are much more experienced, you know, and have done research that know what they're talking about, and I went, you know, it's like, can, is, would it be possible to test this hypothesis? And it's like, uh, how are you going to do that? You know, because the question is not, can we find Israelites' DNA among the Native Americans today? The question is, can I reconstruct Lehi's DNA based on descendants that are alive today? LDS Perspectives Podcast is not affiliated with The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The opinions expressed on this episode represent the views of the guest and podcaster alone, and LDS Perspectives podcast and its parent organization may or may not agree with them. While the ideas presented may vary from traditional understandings or teachings, they in no way reflect criticism of LDS church leaders, policies, or practices.